everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank. No protracted introductions today, just some simple news. We have a win to discuss. My name is Lewis and joining me to discuss Sale's 20.7 victory over Newcastle Falcons on Saturday is my good friend James. James, how are you doing? Yeah, very good, mate. Just relieved. Relieved and happy. I mean, it's, it's hard It's hard not to. I mean, we, we, said, we said last week that this was going to be a, a massive game for, for so many reasons, just in terms of how it's going to shape up Sale's season for, for, for the, rest of, the rest of the year. And, and there's the fact that Sale were not only able to win, but to win in the end fairly comfortably and get a nice four-point win, as, as I was sort of talking about last week. It, it, it's just, it, this changes Sale's season, surely. Well, I was just about to say. So I've got the table up in front in front of us, and obviously that win over Sale, uh, sorry, that win over Newcastle puts Sale uh, into eleventh, given um, last weekend's results, including that uh, that that shock hammering that Worcester laid down on on Bristol. Uh, and obviously, so Sale Sale eleventh, they're on nine points. Newcastle, uh, perhaps surprisingly, bottom at this point in the season with, with only seven points. And then looking ahead, you've got Bristol and Northampton in tenth and ninth on ten on ten points apiece. So it's it sort of. The table, especially at the bottom, is very competitive. But, but like you said, you're looking at the teams who are currently in those sort of the mix for the top six. You've got Quinns uh, on 14 points, Worcester uh, on 13 points by virtue of their 52-7 win over Bristol. I mean, it, it does get the sense that this result has just blown the entire bottom half of the table wide open. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, if if we you know, had a discussion in the, in the season preview about being second from bottom after the first six games, I think we would have all been like, oh, what a disaster and everything else. And look, it's not good. And I, and I know that the people at the club will be going, this is not what we planned for. But in the context of if we'd lost, we would have been pretty adrift at the bottom. Yeah. Um, then this, this win really does change the complexion. The difference between win and loss against Newcastle is really quite a lot, I think. Um, and I really do think that now we can push on um, with the next few fixtures in the Premiership aren't, aren't that easy, actually. Um, you know, we've got to make sure we win our home fixtures, but we've got an opportunity to really pick up some momentum now going into the Challenge Cup. Yeah, I mean, I think it's—I've obviously mentioned that that, that Worcester victory, but you, you hit the nail on the head there in, in saying that if we'd lost this game against Newcastle, we are pretty far—we would have been pretty far adrift at the bottom because obviously Newcastle would be on eleven points, and so would probably be still stuck on on five. Then, then you're, you're you're a bonus point win away from, from, from Bristol, who'd be in 11th. And, and you sort of start to think that, obviously, a five-point deficit is not insurmountable by, by any stretch. But we, everyone is talking this season about just how close the, uh, the the Premiership is, again. And it's getting more and more competitive each year and closer and closer and closer. And you got and you start to think, actually, if this after this first bank of games, if you were five points adrift, Sale would have been in really, really big trouble, given that there, there are... Literally no easy games anymore. Worcester fans might disagree, but that that's 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 neither here nor there. 
And I think the fact is, you know, we, we can sit here today, second from bottom, and yet still be very positive because I think that is a huge win, not only on the field, but it's going to be massive in the changing rooms. It's going to be massive for, for, for morale. And obviously, you, you know, the hard part isn't over. You sell a very much sort of murder in, that, in that, that, that sort of bottom half of the table. But with how the results are shaping out, it could just go either way. And the fact that Sale aren't cut adrift at the bottom is is, is something to celebrate six six games into, into the season. Yeah, that's right. And we've actually found some stuff out during this period. You know, it is really, really shown that we need to invest in some tight five forwards, which Diane's been talking about for a long period of time. Well, now I think that it would have focused everybody's mind in the, in the club into making sure we're in a competitive position come the transfer windows that open in opens in January. So we've really got to get a bit of a move on to show that we're on an upward momentum curve there and try and get some people for after the World Cup to come. Because I think that that would transform us as a side. Uh, we've also found um, two people who can operate at um, Premiership level at Hooker um, that we weren't 100% sure about before in Cameron Neald and Curtis Langdon. So post Mark Jones and, and you know, Rob Webber's not going to be around for, for too much longer. That gives us a lot of hope as well. Um, it's shown that Will Clift does a really good job at nine, but the clerk can take us to the next level. Um, it's shown that Jennings does a really good job at 12, but Van Rensburg really does take us to the next level because he's got that turn of speed as well as just direction. Um, and it's also shown that Sam James, he's such a quality rugby player that he, he, you can put him anywhere and he pretty much do a job. Uh, really, because he's just he just he's just a very intelligent rugby player, um, and actually I thought he looked actually quite um, uh, almost you know kind of like quite a beautiful fullback if you know what I mean, uh, quite elegant because when he gets he's a sight he's, he looks good when he opens up those legs, um, and at thirteen sometimes he's he, he's he's kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I just realised what I just said. A beautiful uh, fullback who looks good when he opens up his legs. Look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm as big a fan of Sam James as anyone, but I think this, this man crush might be getting a little bit too, um, <laughs> too over the top. No one will quash my enthusiasm for <laughs> Sam James' legs. Uh, but uh, <laughs> my point is, at 13, you know, he's quite close proximity, you know, to the tackle area, isn't he? All the time, he's like close to the game line. Whereas at 15, he gets a bit more room to, to roam and open his legs up as I said <laughs> and uh, you know, get, 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 get moving no I thought that was that was, that was great obviously the, the one big down point of the weekend um, I mean it's Marlon Yard's injury isn't it which uh, you know I mean that is probably apart from I remember Andrew Sheridan popping his um, his shoulder out in a scrum and having to be given oxygen on the pitch and he was literally crying his eyes out that was a bit of a shock to see because obviously such a big and hard man. This was in that category, wasn't it? It was um, really not nice to see. And, and, you know, I couldn't bear... I, I watched one replay and I, I don't want to ever see it ever again. It was that awful. Yeah, I tell, I tell you what, let's, I know we've, we have a bit of a, um, a reputation for negativity, but yeah, let, let's, let's get the bad news out of the way before we sort of go on to sort of speak glowingly about about sell last weekend. Obviously... Uh, that win sort of there's a huge shadow over it in, in that Marlon, Marlon Yard obviously suffered what is uh, what is just a horrendous you know freak freak injury. The uh, sort of initial diagnosis straight after the game would would sort of indicate that it's a, a dislocated knee, and, and I sort of did a little bit of reading up up on it afterwards to sort of get an idea for sort of rehab and sort of how long it takes to recover. And obviously, uh, for those <laughs> for those of you who don't know, a dislocated knee effectively means that the the top half of your leg becomes detached from the bottom half of your leg. 
the two, the two sort of main main bones that she just sort of sort of come apart and obviously it's uh, there was a very sort of um, something similar happened to a quarterback in the NFL and it sort of took him well over a year to recover and I think obviously we are looking at uh, a similar sort of time frame for Marlon Yard and it is it's just an absolutely it's just a, just a terrible shame and and personally you know watching from the stands on Saturday I was absolutely devastated for him because I was sort of talking talking to a few people about this afterwards and and maybe maybe we're seeing things through sort of rose tinted glasses and maybe we're sort of being a little bit a little bit too sort of uh, optimistic um but i just thought with with the way Malinar was playing the, the form he was in there was a genuine chance that he might be able to uh, feature for england at, at the 2019 rugby world cup and 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 you know obviously there are a lot of very talented wingers but you look at the form that yard has brought to sell since joining last year from from harlequins not only has he been arguably sales most consistent performer He's been arguably one of the most consistent performers in, in in the league, regardless of position. And I think it is it is you know quite you know quite quite literally a crying shame that that he's he's not been a, he's he suffered this injury on the eve of, of the World Cup when he was in probably his best form for for three or four years. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's been our best player so far this year. Every single game he's played really really well. He's obviously scored tries. Um, you know, he's been doing the Chris Ashton tracking. Um, which is good. He's been really solid under the high ball. Um, and I thought what I really like most is um, for what, one of the tries, I can't remember which one it was, but basically he played sort of uh, scrum half and yeah. shifted it out to, the, out to the left, didn't he? And I just think what he's added is a bit of intelligence around uh, around his game. I think at Quinn's, I always used to see him as someone who's really, really quick, ran up the tram lines, you know, scored some tries, but overall was not a well-rounded rugby player. To me, he's he's really been enjoying his rugby. Um, he's been sales' best winger since he joined the club um, and uh, should have been in this England squad that had been announced. Uh, I think it was ridiculous that he wasn't, to be honest. I think just talking about Yard's intelligence and the way he's, he's begun to sort of start reading the game, um, I think what's really interesting, and, and perhaps it's a little bit unfair because we don't know necessarily how the roles for, for the left winger and the right winger, that, that 11 shirt, that 14 shirt, differ in, in Sale's sort of attacking scheme. What I thought was really, really interesting is, you know, we saw the slow start to the season Sale have had. You know, McGuigan at 15, he's, he's sort of struggled a little bit. Um, Denny Solomon, as, as, you know, you can you know, say he, his form isn't what it was when he first joined the club. I think what's really interesting, you know, especially compared to those two players, is what we're seeing from Yard is he's just so much more active in the game. And I think Solomon is a great comparison because obviously McGuigan's being played slightly out of position. Um, but obviously, the way Yard gets involved in the midfield, the way he's sort of the go-to person uh, for running off the back of the fly half during like um, a phase one play off the back of a scrum, for example, just just the way that he's getting more involved and popping up in these places and taking the ball in midfield and sort of cutting back inside and looking to make things happen. I don't, I'm not necessarily going to say that you know Denny Solomon should be doing all those things because obviously they might have very different roles in the way Sale want them to play. But I think it's just really interesting when you have a team that's struggling like that and, and perhaps struggling to get a platform and struggling to get the ball um, to their back line. I thought the way Yard has sort of brought you know, sort of forces himself onto the game, I think is, 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 fan, is fantastic. And obviously it's something that you can say that it might not necessarily have happened um, a few years ago. And I think that speaks volumes to the way he has developed his game since coming to sale. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, Marlon, if you're listening to this, and I'm sure you are, um, then, uh, then, you know, all the very best. I think he's had a, a scan today, isn't he? So we're, we're going to find out more in the coming days about how long he's out. But I think we can be expecting him he could be even out until 2020. I mean, yeah. it's difficult to know. 
Well, absolutely, and, and I think obviously, see, my concern is a, is a self. I'm not only for, for Marlon's well-being, and I, and I wish him all the best in his, his recovery. Is I, I just hope he, he doesn't rush back. You know, I think when you have a, a, an injury as horrific as, as as what he's unfortunately sustained, I think the key is to just make sure it's just rehab properly. And if it takes a year, it takes a year. And if it takes eighteen months, it takes eighteen months. We saw uh, perhaps with James O'Connor a little bit with the ankle issues he's been having, um, how he sort of tried to sort of play on valiantly. Uh, last season and the season before at Toulon and what it basically did was it, it meant he couldn't play at a full uh, full capacity for an extra 12 months he was playing he was playing rugby but he was you know he was half half the player that he could have been and obviously it then ex- accentuated the injury even more so yeah I mean just all the best to Marlon and his recovery and, and hopefully um, you know he, he, he everything gets rehabbed properly and, and it all goes to plan but that's that's negative stuff out of the way Let, we, we can focus on the on the positives I, I said this last week more so than the, than, than the try bonus point, more so than anything else. What I wanted to see from Sale was just a good, comprehensive win. And that just meant getting the four points aboard, stopping Newcastle, who were a team right there in the mix with them for getting anything out of the game. And it didn't, it didn't look like that from the start, did it, James? The first half, it was, it was attritional. The ball was getting fl- uh, flung around a lot, but no one was really making a break. So it was very, very even. And Sale actually went into the break down 7-3. What, what, what were your thoughts at half-time? Sort of looking at how Sale had played and the ambition that they tried to play with, and the fact that Newcastle had just been able to hold uh, hold steady in defence. It felt like a lot of the last recent games of Sale, which was actually playing with a little bit of ambition, but not with that sort of golden something to change the game, that offload that gets you beyond, um, that gets you over the try line. We haven't scored many tries this season, um, and there's kind of the confidence has dropped. I think that that risk element has kind of fallen out of our game. But I think some of the structure and the plays were there. Our defence was very solid, which has been in the last couple of games. Our scrum has been solid since the first couple of games. It was, you know, we matched Newcastle up front. Line-out was OK. Um, so, you know, I thought we were unlucky, certainly, to be behind 7-3. But I couldn't help the feeling of, you know, this is going to be difficult to come back from. Four points is, you know, a fair amount. They only need to get a penalty and suddenly, you know, Sale are starting to stress about scoring tries. So I didn't think we played poorly at all, but I didn't think, you know, I, I think we played better than we did for the whole Leicester game, basically, in, yeah. even in the first half. Uh, more competent, a lot less mistakes, not very many penalties, which was which was good to see. Um, and then, you know, at half-time, you know, I don't know what was said in the changing room, but uh, the second half, for a start, the fact that we outscored an opposition in the second half, that must be the first time we've done that this season. Um, so, you know, our fitness has caught everyone else up, which is good. Well, I mean, absolutely. You you want to look at sort of a tail of the game. It's, it's the fact that Sale just came out and completely dominated uh, the, the, the second half. And, and I didn't sort of really realise just how comprehensive Sale outplayed Newcastle until I went back and looked at the stats obviously Alex isn't here today otherwise he would have been able to sort of he'd have a treasure trove of stats to pull out about how we we sort of took the game away from Newcastle in the second half but you you look at the fact that Sale were you know down 7-3 at half time they scored 17 unanswered points they nilled Newcastle in the second half and you start to look at the territory figures and, and unfortunately I don't have them to hand but the vast majority of plays is taking place. If you you know you look at like heat maps, for example, it's just all in Newcastle's half. Sale spent a good 10, 10 to twelve minutes camped in sales uh, in Newcastle's twenty-two in sort of the mid part of, of the second half. And what I thought was really impressive about Sale was right from the off, it was a little bit jitterish. But then they, they sort of rode the storm, 
got back into the game and started to build field position. And this is why we're saying people like AJ McGinty and Sam Jones are so important, because it's all about being able to put your pack in the right positions. And when we actually got there, like you said, the line-out was working. The rolling ball was putting pressure on Newcastle, even if it didn't result in a in a score. And, and what you'd end up having was, was Sale just having continued pressure for 10, 15 minutes at a time. And that forced Newcastle into penalties, that forced them into two yellow cards. And then Sale, what, what was most impressive was that actually we had a long period of time where Newcastle were down to 14 men after uh, Muller Polo got um, Simbin for taking Martin Yard off, off, off the ball. Uh, and we, we kick to the corner and we catch the line out. We don't really do anything with it, but we go through the phases. And all of a sudden, James Phillips goes over for a try. And we and I think yeah. it might be the first time this season that we've actually just we, you know plan A has not worked but we've just stuck with it we've gone around the corner we've done what needed to be done and we scored a try and then Newcastle restart we collect the ball it's back and forth for a few minutes and then we're back in the twenty two and we do the exact same thing again we go through the phases we you know we play throw the ball out wide when we can we you know we, we front up and, and try and pick and go and it basically ends with us having that man advantage over again uh, and I think it's um, I think it's Marlon Yard actually who, who throws the ball across to, to Brent Evans who just waltzes in on yeah. the post and it was just it was so pleasing to see that um, given that the fact that obviously Newcastle had scored with that Will Welch try right at the end of the first half it would have been very easy to expect sales heads to drop and the fact that the game was quite open to begin the second half and that Sale countered that and then we're able to sort of establish a foothold and then just completely put Newcastle to the sword. It's, it's so pleasing to see. And that is everything I've wanted to see from Sale uh, throughout the season that, that we've been missing out on. Yeah, I mean, that, that try of Brunevis, that's the one I was trying to find earlier that Yard sort of went in uh, into the rock and passed, and passed it out to Brunevis. That, that was the moment because we went 15-7 up. Um, AJ missed the conversion. But in some ways it didn't matter because we're beyond the conversion score ahead. Yeah. And that's the first time they felt this all season. Um, so I think that, that that was that was positive for, for, for the guys. So many great individual performances as well. Great might be pushing it, but very good. I mean, nearly everybody in the in the in the team had a good game. I thought, um, especially considering the circumstances and the pressure that they must have. Yeah, felt under. Have you have uh, you have you got any names then that you want to sort of highlight? Because this is something I was going to. Yeah. Because I said after the game, great team performance, hard to pick out individuals, but I think there's a couple of players who deserve mention. But I'm interested to see what what, what you think first. Well, I've been quite quick to criticise James Phillips this season, um, especially at the start of the season. Hard tracks, still very very warm. He was very slow into the fence, especially guarding around the rucks. Um, but Quinns, I saw him absolutely dead on his feet after about 45 minutes. My version of him was that kind of Leicester version, which is you come off the bench with 20 minutes to go and you create havoc. Um, actually, he started, which surprised me um, for this game. Even though I know Newcastle are very physical, I think that I've always not rated Ostrakov as an impact stop. I've always yeah. thought he, he needs more game time and he gets better uh, the more he plays. So I expected him to start and Phillips come off the bench. So I was surprised. But I thought Phillips was brilliant right from the start. Um, he was obviously a key feature in our rolling mall, um, but also you know, getting over the line. He's one of the few uh, ball carriers who, in very close quarters, can make a difference. You look at what Exeter have, you know, with Dave Ewers and Don Armand, and you know, basically everybody. Uh, Jack Eendill, Dave, Dave Dennis. One yeah. on one, they they kind of physically win, so that's why they just go phase after phase after phase because if they get three meters out, five meters out, you know that they're just going to get over. Um, with Sale, that's always looked very very 
difficult for many years because we've not had that kind of player. So having James Phillips, he thought I thought he played very well. Uh, I thought Will Cliff had a, an, another good game. I thought um, AJ was solid, not spectacular, but to, um, uh, Van Rensburg I thought was was really very good. Um, I, he obviously his try stands out. Actually, I'm gonna I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be a bit contentious on on Van Rensburg actually because I think um, and, and and actually I am actually getting to to an overall positive point, but I actually thought up until Van Rensburg's try. He didn't actually have that great of a game. Now, let me preface that by saying that obviously Van Rensburg is a fantastic player and therefore the standards of his performances are going to be very high. And I thought, unsurprisingly, again, it's his first start in, in six months. You know, he's, he's still got a niggling injury. He's coming back from it. But I thought there was a couple of times, you know, his, his, his carrying perhaps wasn't as impactful as we saw last season. Um, his sort of passing was was fine, but wasn't really making those sort of offloads that we saw him do. And obviously, you know, you're expecting to, to, to be the sort of all world performer because we know that's that is the top player he is. And obviously, he looked a little bit off the ball. I thought defensively as well. There was there was one instance where Newcastle Newcastle's best chance of the first half actually until they scored came because Van Rensburg just a little bit too eager jumping out of the line. And I think it was Joel Hodgson who'd come on for Toby Flutter then just just floated the pass. Uh, and it was Chris Harris who just went straight round Van Rensburg, and it led to a it led to a three on two that ultimately Sarah were able to defend. But you saw he just looked a little bit tentative, uh, and it wasn't necessarily impacting the game in, in the way that you'd hope, especially alongside McGinty. But then he he, he did he does what he does for the try, and I think uh, I said I said said this straight after the game actually. That's what Sarah have been missing all season. We, we talk up Yard, we talk up. Um, you know Tom Crow. We talk about these players who've, who've played very, very well to start the season, but it's just that little bit of star quality, that ability to just make something out of nowhere, and that's kind of what Denny Solomon was doing for Sale when when he first joined. And I remember that try scored against Bath the last game, last game of the season, um, where he just sort of took four or five players on and scored. It was superb, and it was it was like that with Van Rensburg. He didn't necessarily have he had a, he had a perfectly fine game. He was perfectly solid, and all of a sudden he just turns it on, beats three players, and scores a try to to, to kill the game off. I think that is what Sale have missed in De Klerk. That's what they've missed from from some of their so their other top players being off the ball. And I think getting Van Rensburg back, even if it, even if that's his only meaningful contribution to the game, is so important because it just means that we can. That's the difference between a, a nervy finish and being comfortably putting away a, a, a team that's in the Champions Cup. Yeah, I mean we we've got a team that have a lot of grafters in it and are good rugby players, right? But we have lacked that X factor where you can do something that someone else can't and get us over the line. But Rensburg has that. There was a couple of carries. You just know. If he builds up ahead of steam, stopping him from 10 metres out is very difficult. Um, and, you know, we're also missing Hayley and Addison because I think they both had sort of yeah. match-breaking yeah. abilities. And uh, we've not had them either. You know, you look at Jennings, Luke James. Sam James. Uh, Sam James. Uh, you know, none of those are going to suddenly finish off a try from nowhere. They they can create the space by doing the simple things well. Sam James, in particular, you know, he's a beautiful footballer um, with very good legs, as we've said already. Uh, but you know, I think they were used to these other people being on the end of it. I think with Ashton coming back as well, that's gonna that's gonna be a big thing. McGuigan looked hungry again, being on the wing. Um, Much well with not just a high tackle on him, but got need in the face as well while he was trying to finish that. So I think uh, you know it's definitely yellow cards around for, for, for that. Curry also, I think uh, it's interesting to not have Ben Curry at all in the uh, 23. I don't know if he's got a knock. He certainly played a lot of rugby, isn't he, in the yeah, last yeah. year and a bit. Uh, but for Tom, for Tom Curry, you know, to, to, to play to play much of the game, not all the game, but uh, quite a bit of the game. I thought he just looked he looked like an England player. 
And I think it's the first time in a sale jersey that Tom Curry has looked like an England player. Yeah, well, I, I'm glad you 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 mentioned Tom Curry because I really want to pause on him because I, I think he's he was absolutely superb on on Saturday, and I think he was salesman of the match. I think um, yeah. I, I think. I was thinking about this before we came on came on the air, and I just think this, this is going to be quite a bold claim, um, but I genuinely think it is very hard to say there are any other jackals in the Premiership at the moment who are but who are definitively better than Tom Curry because I think the difference he makes to sell is is, is unbelievable, especially the breakdown. And I think Ben Curry is a superb player and he was a very very good jackal in his own right, but Tom just seems to have that 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 slight edge that I don't know what it is whether it's positioning or sort of caution or whatever but Tom Curry is 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 undeniably one of the best uh, jackals in the premiership already and I think having him in in the team makes such a difference to sell because like you said we've got a lot of grafters and a lot of good rugby players John Ross is a very good tackle and a very good ball carrier and he can jackal but he's, he, that's not his natural game Josh Strauss isn't going to jackal Rob Webber isn't Tommy Taylor he's not going to jackal and I think actually having Tom Curry in the team as that definitive breakdown threat is so important for, for the way that he complements everyone else in the sales team because sales players aren't going to struggle fronting up. They're not going to struggle to make tackles. We, we, we know that because Ross Harrison and Will Gachon and John Ross make 20-plus tackles a game. But what, what we've lacked is someone is, is that sort of prototypical seven that we used to have with Dan Braid. And Tom Curry's come in and not only does he do that, he does everything else well. He passes, he carries. He's even a jumper in the lineup. And I think he has made, having him fit and healthy has made a massive difference to, to the way Sale can, Sale can play. And I think it's hard not to see him as, as England's number seven going into the uh, Autumn Internationals. Oh, he's definitely incumbent. He played superbly in South Africa. Um, South Africa, you know, they've beaten New Zealand once and should have beaten them again at the weekend. Um, and uh, Tom Curry played well in all three tests, not just in the test that they won England. Mm. So uh, he's definitely incumbent. But I can't. I see him being shifted to the 19 World Cup by anyone. I don't think there's anybody really close to him. As an out and out seven, you know, Jones might decide to go for a different approach, um, which he did for the start of his ten, uh, you know, tenancy with England. And if he does, then that's fair enough and that's a strategic decision. But as an out and out seven, there's not anybody close to him. What did you make of uh, Sam James at 15? Because that was the big question about coming into uh, coming into Saturday's game. Obviously, in hindsight, we can say, obviously, everything sort of worked out well for Sale. But that that was a concern, obviously. Not having Solomon and moving McGuigan at, uh, to the wing so he can play against Sonotti and having Sam James at 15. I mean, what did you make of, of, of James's performance? I thought he was very good. You know, I didn't have any worries going into the game. He hasn't played an awful amount of rugby at 15. Most of his rugby has been at, at 10, um, coming through the, the ranks. He just broke through in the team at 13. Uh, but if you watch sales, especially off receiving kickoffs, he receives an awful amount of ball off, off kickoffs. Um, and uh, he's their go to man. He's one of the very few people, there are some people like Israel Falawa does it, but who can catch the ball with his arms above his head. I, I noticed he, that, yeah. Yeah, he, 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 he's, he's been doing that for years, and uh, we've been utilising that off kickoffs. Um, so actually, it makes perfect sense for him to be at 15. I think he reads the, the flight and height of the ball extremely well. Um, he's got a kicking game, which not many other people in the in the team have outside of Will Cliff improve, and AJ's improving. Um, so it makes sense from that point of view. And as I said, you know, when he gets going, he does have pace. I think a few of our guys said, does he have pace to play 15? Well, I, re- I bet he's quicker over 50 metres than Mike Haley. Yeah. Uh, Mike Haley's got 
dancing quick feet. But you know, I think so. Sam James when he when he gets going, he also can stand up in the tackle because um, he's he's a big enough and physical lad. Um, what you don't get as much from him, of course, is that kind of you know second ball receiver out the back, you know, and, and letting other strike runners come off him, which is what we get at thirteen, which is when we were very good last year. That's when he was excellent. So you know, you get. But I just think he's one of those rugby players. He's that good. He, he could just slot he's in anywhere. Yeah. 10, 12, 13, 15. There aren't many of them about in the modern game because people sort of learn their roles. Um, he's he's an old fashioned rugby player. You know, I think in the amateur era he'd be, he'd be playing for England. Uh, I mean, uh, absolutely. Could have been impressed very much though with, with, with Sam James at fifteen. I I, I sort of harbour. I, I sort of harbour doubts that he he's a long term option in the position. I don't necessarily oh, yeah. think um, I don't necessarily think his counter attacking game is, is is quite what it needs to be. I think his his, his ability to kick, obviously we've seen it a few times. His ability to chip over the fence is is, is, is very good. But I don't necessarily think James has the sort of natural game to be that sort of yeah strike striker on a running back encountering if he's not sort of chipping the ball over and, and, and catching and I think actually his talents because he's, his offloading game is so good because he's so big and he's able to sort of get the ball ball out over tacklers I think his game is so much better since so 13 but what I, what I was impressed and this is this was my sort of worry was you know were Newcastle just going to bomb uh, you know bomb kicks up to him and, and sort of test him that way and like you said I, I don't necessarily think you know he's he, you know he's in the, the Israel Falau class in, in being able to to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I know, I know. That's, I know that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I know that's what you're saying. I'm just saying Israel Flowers, the best 15 in the world because his positioning and his ability to take the high ball is so good. I don't necessarily think Sam James is ever going to be that, no matter how good he is at catching the ball. But what I was impressed was he was really, really solid. And the only mistake he made was when the ball squirted out, but it went. It actually went sideways. It just sort of hit his arm funny, uh, trying to catch the ball in midair, and it and it, it went sideways. And Sale didn't actually lose anything out from it. And I, I was impressed because I thought as well. That my other concern was his positioning. You know, he's a very good thirteen. We know he's you know he's a, a very sort of cerebral player and sees the game well. But my worry was that you know fifteen is very different. You have to be in very different positions at fifteen compared to thirteen. Is he going to make the right decisions to step into the line defensively? Is he going to know when to sort of pull back and, and sort of cover the kicks? And I thought overall. He was he was he played very very well, but but on that I want to say as well, Marlon Yard. We sang his praises earlier in the pod. Uh, I noticed as well that Sam James had a much easier time of it at fifteen because Yard was superb in the air again, and that's another area of his game. I'm sorry to keep bringing it back to Marlon Yard, but that's another area of his game which which you know, has definitely blossomed since since coming to Sale. He's he he's faultless in the air. He's absolutely superb at sort of taking high kicks. Um, and sort of competing for the ball, and I think that's 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 again just highlights how important he is to the team. Not only because it means that Sale can start countering straight away with one of the most dynamic ball carriers, but it made Sam James's job so much easier. And, and watching how James played at fifteen and, and how sometimes he'd hit the line and sometimes Yard would be the one to drop back to, to cover the kicks, I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. And it was clear that Sale had obviously thought about how they're going to best employ all these different skill sets in the back three and that, that's really encouraging because we have so much talent that it's, it, it's encouraging to see that we're not only uh, not only we just putting them in, in their preferred positions we're actually sort of thinking you know how can these players complement each other and that's why there's a lot uh, well a lot to be positive about in terms of how we're going to play for the rest of the season Yeah a lot, a lot of kudos to the coaching staff here you know, they've, they've, sat, they've sat down and they thought what's not working for us and they've looked at the skill sets they've got and they've moved some things around. And it's it's really paid off. And it would have been easy just to go with the safe option, put McGuigan in at 15 again, gone with a centre partnership of, of Van Rensburg and Sam James. 
but they, they just they shifted it around. I think knowing that I mean Sam James has a chance of playing for England at thirteen. He's got a chance, right? He hasn't got a chance at fifteen or no, ten. No. But at club level for the Premiership, having players like this who can play in a number of different positions, and Saracens have them. You know, Duncan Taylor plays in the centre or on the wing. Bosch plays at ten, or he can play in the centre or even at full back. You know, Lazowski play ten or fifteen. Uh, Alex Lazowski is another one, 10, yeah, 12, 15. Lazowski, 10, 12, 13. So I'm 15. So to have these players is really, really important. So going into the winter, you know, we've got O'Connor, who's, you know, let's be honest, played, you know, been on the sidelines rather than be playing rugby for a couple of years, really, now. So his fitness has got big question marks over it. Ashton, as a northwest winter fullback, has question marks over him. So knowing that we have a really solid 15 option in Sam James is pretty useful to know as we go into this period. But you, you've, uh, you've actually sort of um, prefaced my, my, my next question, actually, and that obviously one of the big storylines coming into the game was James O'Connor's imminent return to the sale team. And obviously he was able to get on with, with uh, about 30 minutes to go. And, uh, and and obviously making an impact as well. It was his pass that settled, settled Van Rensburg for, for his try. And obviously he was heavily involved in the build to Bryn Evans try as well. Uh, what were your sort of impressions of, of O'Connor's performance on Saturday? You know, was, uh, it, was it as good as you could expect from a player who is as immensely talented as he is, has spent the last sort of 12 months, you know, at, at maybe 50% capacity? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to tell. I mean, you know, really... But, I mean, the pass for Van Rensburg was perfect. It was out in front of him, so he could run onto it, and that's what gave him that gas to get around the around the corner. Um, I, I think he looks really fit. Um, I've been following him on Instagram and all the rest of it. He looks super, super fit. I think we probably brought him back a game ahead of schedule. Yeah. Um, out of necessity, I'd like to see him on the bench again for Perpignan. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get him starting a game probably until the Premiership Cup. To be honest, just just ease him in. Uh, but uh, you know, I think anything's a bonus for, for us for James O'Connor this season. You know, we, we saw glimpses last season, but but not a lot. Um, I think we've learned to operate without him. So if he does get back to what we know he can do, then he really will feel like a new signing. With, with how Sale have, have started the season and, and with the performances people have been putting in at different positions, let's say hypothetically O'Connor, you know, uh, by the time the Premiership starts again, he is fit and he's raring to go and, and can play a full 80 minutes. Where would, where would you slot him in to uh, into the Sale backline, knowing that De Klerk and Ashton are also, are also going to be available? I wouldn't stress too much about it. You know, at Sale, we're all obsessed about what's our first 15. Exeter and Saracens don't give a monkey's about that. You know, they get to the get to the big big games and they work out who's earned the right to have the jersey you know, and they completely rotate through the Premiership and next are always rotating so I wouldn't worry too much I think I'd be happy to see him at 12-13 yeah no absolutely I think O'Connor is a, an extremely talented player but immediately from the off I'm, I'm sure you can go back to, to when we, we started this podcast and I, I was probably saying the same thing I always had my doubts that O'Connor was going to be the answer at 10 I know he was brought in to compete with McGinty maybe he was even actually brought in to, to, to be the sort of first choice unquestionably you know, given that McGinty had a bit of a rocky start to, to his time at Sale but but I, I think you're absolutely right I mean I, to be perfectly honest I think in a perfect world I, th- I think he's I think he's your 23rd man and I think he is he is absolutely brilliant at, at that role because then you have this you have the best example of a utility back you, you could ever hope for because as you said James 
you'd literally, no matter what the circumstances, if you're struggling at 12, if you're struggling at 30, if you're struggling at 50, even if you're struggling on the wing, you know, we might even see him get, get some opportunities on the wing. That's where he performed um, whilst he was, uh, whilst, whilst kind of was with, with too long. And, and you think he's, he's so immensely talented that he could do a job anywhere. And it might be that if Ashton sort of takes to the fullback role and, and doesn't sort of move and Sam James starts putting in some performances at 13 and Van Rensburg's at 12 and McGinty's at 10, maybe we do find a way to get O'Connor uh, uh, on one of the wings alongside uh, Denny Solomona. I think having, having I think O'Connor's a little bit of a luxury player, but at the end of the day, Sale, Sale trimmed their squad to the bone to the point where that we, we are you know severely underspending on key areas of the squad. So to be honest, it's kind of nice to have a luxury player somewhere because at the end of the day... Yeah, we, 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 Even with Young's injury, you know, we are blessed in the backs, aren't we, really? Um, as long as we don't lose too many of our X-Factor players all at the same time, as we've just been discussing. In the pack, we don't have our luxury at all. Yeah, and, and that, that's what I'm saying. Because you have... Um, because it's sort of the, the meat on the bone in the pack is, is, is quite lean, what you have is that you've, at, least you've, at least there is somewhere in the squad that you can point to... Uh, having this sort of luxury player and say, you, well, you know, okay, we're, our part might struggle because we've not been able to get the right replacements or, or reinforcements in. But at least we've got someone like James O'Connor who we can just bring on with 25 minutes left, plug him anywhere into the lineup, and he can make something happen for us. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see uh, how he gets used alongside Van Rensburg and McGinty and all the others um, when when he's back, sort of sort of fully fit. Um, I think we've sort of gone on long enough about about Newcastle. I think it's been uh, it's been a bit of pleasure to just openly discuss what is not only a win, but a, but a good win. Uh, and obviously we can now start to look forward um, to sort of the the, the uh, games coming up over the next couple of weeks. Because that was a big, big, big thing going into Saturday's game, wasn't it? It was a case of if we, if we lose, a bit like with Newcastle, those next five weeks are a bit of a bit of a curse because you're constantly thinking about your poor form of the Premiership. The Premiership has to take precedent. And obviously, you know, there, there is a bit of restlessness in the squad. Whereas now... Granted, you know, we, you, you know, you're second bottom and it's all to play for, but that win just gives you just that little bit of comfort, which means now the pressure's off. You can play uh, some more sort of experimental teams in the Challenge Cup, um, bring some uh, sort of fringe players in because you're not worried about your, your main players maintaining chemistry and building up sort of the confidence together as a pack. And it means we can actually go, go into the Challenge Cup and look forward to it. And maybe even make a run and try and win it and get into the Champions Cup that way. Who who knows? Anyway, as per, even though we're even though we're going on tour, uh, James has done his due diligence as always to give us a, a little bit of a preview into into Sales' next opponents uh, as they open their Challenge Cup campaign uh, away at Perpignan. Yeah, I mean, let's start. I'll set the scene really in, in the, who's in our group. So we, we've uh, we've got Connor and Bordeaux and Perpignan. Uh, which I think is quite a good group for us because Bordeaux are always going to be prioritised in getting into the top six and qualifying for the Champions Cup where they've been for the majority of the last three or four years. Perpignan are a newly promoted side um, and will always be aiming to stay in the top 14. Connor is going to be the tricky one. They're the ones that we've got to try and, and uh, win, definitely win our home game and get something out of the away game. If we do that, we're really with a chance of qualifying. So looking in at Perpignan, uh, I mean, they've had an absolute shocking start to the season. Um, um, they're a bit like us, really, in that sense. Apart from the fact they've played seven and lost seven. Um, so they haven't won a game yet this season. Um, 
they, they, they've been a bit lucky. They've got four losing losing bonus points, and uh, they've lost by a total of three points in the last two games. So they've got really, really close, but come up short. Um, so they're not that far off, but their confidence has got to be even lower than ours, especially after their last loss at, at, at the weekend. Their top 14 is always going to be their priority. The question is, are they going to rest players for a home game in the Challenge Cup? First game. And I think, actually, the odds on are that they're going to play a first-choice side against us because, at home, this is their chance to get a win under their belts for the first time this season. So I don't think that they're actually going to play a weakened side. Maybe later on in the competition, we'll start coming across that and we can take advantage. So my point, and it's interesting to get your view, Lewis, is these first two games in the Challenge Cup, there's been lots of talk about rotating squad or whatever, I would go with pretty much a first-choice side for these first two games. Away at Perpignan, home, Connor. We win those two. We are in prime pole position in this competition. If we lose them, then all we're doing is to give people game time. So we need to decide what we want. What do you think? Yeah, so I've got two thoughts on this. Uh, As I alluded to before, my, my first thought is, I think, especially when your season's not necessarily going to plan, I think it is important to have the same sort of group of, of sort of 20, 23 players playing together all the time. Because we said one of the biggest problems of sales to start the season was his lack of confidence. And, and as much as people would hate to admit it, the team lacks confidence because the, because the boys on the pitch don't tr- might not trust the player alongside them. And the more you play together, the more chemistry you build up. I know these things are, are, are you know diff- difficult to quantify, but I think that there is definitely something inherent in the fact that if you've got the same players playing together all the time, you learn you learn the strengths, you learn the weaknesses, and you adapt the game. And we know that Sale is a very player-driven club as well. John O'Ross, Adrian McGinty handle a lot of the the strategy and a lot of the sort of you know pre-match, post-match, you know, half-time chats and, and sort of discuss how, how they're going to play. And I think it's really important to keep keep the team together. And I think that's what's really interesting with Perpignan because, uh, like you said, James, they had a terrible start to the season, lost every game. Do you keep your, you know, do you, do you rest your, your players and say, we just need to make wrap you up in cotton wool and make sure that you're available for the, for the top 14? Or do you keep them playing together and get the confidence in, and get a couple of wins under your belt and then and then that hopefully and hope that translates over into your top 14 campaign? I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Um, um, for, for for sale and and uh, as, as for, sorry for for sale as well as Perpignan because I think we can say two wins out of six given some performances we are off where we want to be and actually if you've got the same group of players playing together and picking up two big wins away in Perpignan uh, and then at home to Connor then there is almost undoubtedly going to be a net positive benefit for when the sale players get back together and the Premiership resumes. That was my sorry. That was my very long-winded first point. But my second point was actually uh, again something else I've alluded to previously. If if this this sort of you know tip you know topsy turvy sort of you know win one lose two form continues to sail and and the top six is one of uh, you know does become out of reach. Why not Why not have a run at the Challenge Cup? Why not prioritize making sure? Uh, that, that you give the support something to cheer about. I know the Challenge Cup doesn't have the same prestige as, as, as the Champions Cup, and, and that, that is that is a shame. But as long it, you know, if you get to you know the, the second round of fixtures in mid December, and you see that well, actually, the best we can hope for is sort of a seventh or an eighth place finish because you know the top six is already starting to pull away. As long as your Premiership um, safety is guaranteed, why why not? What, I, I, I never understand the, 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 the idea that it's better to finish 10th than 11th in the Premiership as long as uh, and sacrifice any chance of sort of a you know European glory. I, I just, I just yeah. don't understand it. 
Yeah, I think that. I think that as well. I do think there's a shout for maybe playing Green Evans in one of the games and John Ross in one of the games. But other than that, I wouldn't be worrying about resting people. I mean, Harrison's going to get three weeks off during the Premiership Cup. Yeah. Um, so this is what's different this year. Is you are, they've actually got three weeks of Premiership Cup fixtures. So, you know, mostly we're going to be bringing through our youngsters in that competition, maybe apart from that very last game where we might be trying to reintegrate a few people who might be a bit rusty. But I'd, I'd have Ross captaining the side away in Perpignan because that's going to be, you know, it's away from home. Perpignan, the crowd will be up, you know, great place to, to be. Um, yeah. And uh, and then I'd probably rest Evans and then I'd rest Ross at home um, against Connors. Yeah, absolutely. So that's just me. Absolutely. Well, Other than that, to, to be honest, to be honest, I agree. I think the way I would approach it if I was if I was Sale was I'd say ninety percent, eighty percent of of the sort of established first team I would play. I'd play in both games. You'd rest a few key players who've, who've played you know eighty minutes each game. I'd, I'd, I'd probably might not might not necessarily give Ross Harrison a full eighty minutes each week. Um, you know, I wouldn't give Rob Webber. You know, I'd, I'd rotate the squad slightly, but at the end of the day, I'd try and keep the core of the squad together and try and get that momentum from that win over Newcastle. Build up with a couple of victories in the Challenge Cup. Then, like you said, you've got three weeks of Premiership rugby games where McGinsey, Ross, Evan, Strauss, Harrison, um, McGuigan—all these players don't need to play. No, you know, the Premiership Rugby Shield it might matter even less than the LV Cup, which is, it seems astounding to say. And, and by virtue of that fact, you don't need to play these players. So give them give them games hand together. Rest the players who need a rest, who are, who have got knocks. There's no point risking them. But I just think keep keep the squad together as, as best you can. Rotate where absolutely necessary, and, and keep building momentum up. The worst case, you know, the worst case scenario is, well, th- th- there isn't. You know, there's, there's there's a couple of you know maybe maybe you pick up a knock or whatever. Obviously, that, that's something that always has to be sort of considered. But you know, worst worst case scenario, you've given your core players even more game time together to sort of learn to learn and play and sort of build up that chemistry. And the best case scenario is you get the the vast majority of your first team who are going to play when the Premiership restarts in six weeks' time. You've given them plenty of game time together. They've all worked together to pick up three consecutive wins and all of a sudden they can take that form into, back into the Premiership and really help Sale kick on. The other thing as well is, uh, as, as I mentioned before, you know the better you do in the Challenge Cup, there's a chance of it maybe even sneaking into the, uh, the Champions Cup by, by performing well there. And so I think you know if, if if you know results don't go the way for Sale in the Premiership, we we should be we should be actively looking at that as a potential backdoor into Champions Cup because given the investment in the squad, Sale needs to start hitting hitting that that sort of Champions Cup tier consistently. And it's not ideal if you finish in ninth in the Premiership and doing it by the Challenge Cup. But at the end of the day, you know, a ticket to the <laughs> a ticket to the Champions Cup in 2019-2020, uh, it doesn't matter how you get in as long as you get in. So we've got a lot of people who you know haven't had a lot of game time, and uh, this is an opportunity to bring them in. You know, people like Andre Ostrakov. You know, he's not played much. Let's try and get two 80-minute games under his belt. Uh, O'Connor, two games off the bench, but you know maybe comes on at half time against Connor. Um, and then Van Rensburg, you know, he, he needs more game time. Continues to get fit. Uh, Mark Jennings has played virtually no rugby. We probably had to bring him back earlier than we would have liked to, straight into Premiership rugby. You know, let's give him some 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 game time. So we've got plenty of players that we can rotate in who we still see as first team players. Um, and then, as you say, we keep the we keep the core together. I would play Harrison in both games and start them with 
uh, you know, a preference to try and bring him off as early as possible if the game is done. Yeah. Uh, but knowing that there's three games rest ahead, I'd do the same with Will Griff John, um, by the way. Um, but uh, you know, other than that, I wouldn't I wouldn't seek to do much. The the big question, and this is one for you, Lewis, is uh, the clerk is back at Carrington. What do we do with him? Well, I think that this is a really interesting issue that I think is is, is divided um, divided big portions of the cell fan base. My personal preference, given that the clerk is has played well over 12 months of rugby continuously without without a break and that's you know that's playing super rugby for the Lions and then playing for Sale all season and then going straight back to South Africa and playing with the with the box my preference would actually be to just give him the next four weeks off don't worry about the Challenge Cup uh, you know give give the games into Will Cliff you know like I said it's sort of all about keeping keeping the team together you know give give, give Gus War you know plenty of opportunities and obviously then in the, the Premiership Rugby Shield you can actually give Matt Sturgis um, some, some game time as well and start to get a sense of who's going to be um, the sort of better player to invest in long term between Sturgis and War um, and I think the thing with the clerk is I'd, I'd, I'd give him a couple of weeks off let him get settled back into uh, back into England keep him keep him training you know uh, perhaps a perhaps a sort of like a limited pace and then I'd, I'd give him 60 minutes in the Premiership Rugby Shield um, uh, in in the sort of last week of, of, of that bank of fixtures uh, I just think as, as talented as the clerk is and, and as much as I can see, I don't know obviously I've just been advocating for getting your core players playing together as much as possible when there's something to play for, and I do believe the Challenge Cup is something to play for. I think at the same time with De Klerk, his his circumstances are so extraordinary and so sort of unique to, to, to him that I just think give him give him the two weeks off in the Challenge Cup. He doesn't necessarily need to play. Don't play him for the first rugby shield. And just give him sixty minutes for match fitness in that in that last Premiership rugby shield game. And uh, and then obviously by the time we, we you know the Premiership re- resumes, um, he'll have sort of had a bit of a rest, had a bit of uh, game time to get his match fitness back, and he can sort of come back uh, all guns blazing because. Because obviously, with the deal that Sailor struck with with the South African Union, he's not going to be playing in the November internationals for the box, which means that Sale will will probably going to be running him into the ground um, in sort of like uh, the end of uh, end of November, December, and he's probably just going to play the the the, the bulk of this, the remaining season, you know, um, except for the couple of weeks where where the Premiership Rugby Shield sort of continues again. That that that's my opinion. I, I know there's, there's definitely a case to. to for, for the clerk to play in the Challenge Cup, then get that three weeks off, and then come back as as we imagine someone like John O'Ross or or, or Bryn Evans or AJ McGinty uh, might do. But but James, what, what what do you think? I'm going to throw it back to you. You know, what, how would you deploy the clerk for the, over the next couple of weeks? I I mean, this is a difficult one because um, I take your point on it. But I think what they will do is probably have him coming off the bench in Perpignan because he's not been around the squad at all. So. Uh, I mean, I doubt our players have changed so much you can't pick them up. But I think he'll be an impact player off the bench at Perpignan. Um, you know, Larue and Lowe have been doing you know all this travelling around. Um, De Klerk's not had to do that, um, so he's not played any Premiership games yet. Let's play him off the bench against Perpignan. I'd start him at home against Connor. You know, let's bring in as much crowd as we can. Uh, the return of De Klerk and all that. And then I'd give him three weeks off. I wouldn't even give him 20 minutes in that final Prem Cup game because I think you've always got that opportunity to have him back on the training ground at Carrington um, before that um, training with the lads. And then they need to make the call as to whether he'll start that first Premiership game back or whether he'll come off the come off the bench. But uh, I think it, I think you know the Challenge Cup. We've got a one-off opportunity here with this group. If we get out in front. You know, if Bordeaux and Perpignan aren't in with a sniff of winning this group, 
they will put our donkey sides. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then, so, so then we've got the opportunity to put to rotate our squad and still beat them. And then it's all about the you know the return and home fixtures against Connor. Well, if we win our home fixture this time against Connor, you know, then then that puts us in pole position. Um, and then we might only need to put out a first team in one further game, and that's away at Connor later in the competition. So I think let's just try and keep momentum with one one game. Let's try and win three now. I think the only reason though why they were taking the squad more than that, and I've heard this said from the club before, is for the EQP yeah. to qualify. Yeah for what we need to do and uh, you know injuries to people like Yard really aren't going to help us um, and because of our good academy people often don't think we've got a problem with managing our EQP whereas most seasons we only just scrape it with qualification yeah. it's a real thing as part of a selection I think for particular games um, so which is why I don't think we'll be resting Harrison for example um, um, because well, he's EQP. Uh, yeah, and I suppose obviously then your only your only backup option is is um, Alex Taros, who who obviously won't, won't fall under the same category. And I I, I I take you take your point on those completely. I think I think that's, that's very fair. And I think uh, it's nice to see sort of the commercial side as well because obviously that will be a great opportunity for Sale to sort of say, oh, you know, come to the Connacht game. We've got a reason. <laughs> We've got a reason for you to turn up because I think it's a shame that the Challenge Cup obviously. Uh, you know, understandably so, just doesn't get the same attention that uh, the Champions Cup does. But I do genuinely think, I mean, I know I bemoan sales, sales squad and, and the composition and depth and things, um, you know, basically since since, since the summer. Uh, but I do genuinely look at the sales squad and think, you know, we have a chance to t- do something special in this competition. And, it, and obviously, if, if Premiership safety is, is under threat, obviously you've got to prioritise the Premiership. And if the Premiership top six is available, you've still got to prioritise the Premiership. I understand that absolutely. But but if the results don't go for Salesway and if we do sort of end up in this sort of quagmire in the sort of lower mid table, I'd love to see Sale really push on and really make something out of out of, of the Challenge Cup because, like I said, you know it is, it is a potential pathway into the Champions Cup, which obviously would be massive for the club uh, uh, off the field in terms of commercial opportunities for 2019-20. But at the same time as well, it would be great. It'd be very very easy. Um, to use the Challenge Cup as a springboard to sort of you know support support the Premiership campaign it's, it's sort of similar. I remember when a few few seasons ago, when Salah had a really sort of terrible start in that 2012-13 season, and we, and we you know looked like we were relegation favourites. Actually, the, when we started to turn it around was because we started picking up wins in the LV Cup at the time. You know, we, we, were in a, we were in the Champions Cup that year, and obviously our first win w- was was um, against Cardiff at home. And then we sort of fell off again. But then actually, when our th- when our form started to turn around, it was in large part because we we basically played a full strength squad in the LV Cup games against you know Saracens. You were playing sort of a bunch of eighteen year olds. But the thing was, we had the first team together. We had them playing together. They had them winning games, and then that form translated into the Premiership, and we were actually able to um, sort of escape escape relegation ultimately quite handedly. Although obviously, a big big part of that was London Welsh's uh, um, points deduction. But I think I, I, I'm really interested to see how we approach the Challenge Cup this year because I think on the one hand, tough start to the season means you've got to prioritise the Premiership, but at the same time, actually with with a, with a little bit of you know clever squad management and and sort of proper utilisation of players. Sale could actually end up using the Challenge Cup not only to to sort of uh, make a statement in Euro, but actually use that form with with that small first team squad uh, to sort of really give them the confidence and the sort of coherence to to really push on in the Premiership as well. Yeah, absolutely. And a matchup that I'm looking forward to is AJ McGinty against Paddy Jackson. We nearly saw that on the Carrington training ground. Yeah. Uh, Paddy has been started all their games for Perth. 
Pignon. Uh, I've not watched him play. Um, obviously, he's been a losing side, but he's a quality player. So um, that'll be an interesting head-to-head to watch. Right. Well, on that note, we should uh, we should actually do some predictions now. Obviously, Alex Alex couldn't be with us this week. He's actually not going to be with us for the next couple of weeks because he's uh, currently in America, I believe, on work. Although I'm, I went on his Instagram the other day and he was at a Carolina Panthers uh, American football game. So how much work he's actually getting up to, uh, I don't know. Um, but obviously, with Alex not here, uh, I've sort of taken over, sort of tweeting out predictions and stuff. I don't have access to his, his spreadsheets. He keeps those under uh, lock and key. Um, but when uh, Alex, we are just just for everyone who is participating in the predictions competition we are keeping note of them and when Alex returns he will be able to give a, a very sort of comprehensive update on how, how things are going but uh, anyway James as, as I was sort of saying you know Perpignan on tough starts of the season they've only just come up from, from the um, Pro Division 2 they look favourites to go down again and looking at the squad this doesn't quite have the star quality of um, you know of, obviously uh, the vast majority of the teams in, in, in the top 14 do you think a win is 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 feasible for sale? And if so, how do you how do you see the, the, the sort of game going in terms of a scoreline? So I think it is within within our reach. I think Perth will be desperate for the win at home, trying to get some momentum. Uh, but I just want to keep positive about it now, um, and I uh, say Perpignan twenty two, Sale twenty eight. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I'm buoyed by the by the fact that not only were Sale able to put together a very impressive performance against Newcastle last week, um, I also think um, looking at how our form was in the Challenge Cup last year, going away to to Leon on Toulouse, uh, that actually once again the Sale players should uh, should be really up for this one. I think it'd be a great game, and I'm also predicting a Sale win. I'm going to say Sale 32. Uh, Perpignan 21 so Alex if you are listening to this somewhere uh, in the US please uh, please jot down our uh, predictions because I guarantee by the time we get to tweeting them out uh, at the end of the week I'll have forgotten what me and James said uh, but I think that that does it this week for for the podcast. I want to say a massive, massive thank you for James uh, for joining me as usual. It's been been very fun just sort of a nice sort of light back and forth chat about sale. It's uh, It's been quite refreshing. Yeah absolutely keep it coming last keep the wins coming and uh, hopefully we can get somebody else on after your Curtis Langdon interview as well and uh, get a few more of those interviews going oh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're on the same page that was going to be the, uh, how I was going to sign off the podcast um, obviously as you might have noticed uh, yesterday we put out a very sort of special interview that we were able to secure with Curtis Langdon uh, we talked for a sort of about 25-30 minutes just about his time as uh, so far what it was like moving from London Irish to the team a little bit about how he's settling into Manchester and what it's like to be making his premiership debut if I say so myself, I think it's a really interesting interview. There's some really interesting insights into uh, into little bits about the club, about how the club train, about how the um, uh, how the how the sort of players celebrate after a big win like uh, like over Newcastle on on Saturday. And it's definitely worth checking out. And obviously, it's something you want to keep doing um, for you guys uh, over the course of the season. Uh, but with that, we're going to bid adieu. Uh, James, do you have anything you'd like to say um, be- before uh, before we say goodbye? No, all done, mate. Well, we'll speak to you guys next week.